Before we start today, I want us to spend some time in prayer. Houston is still recovering from all of the, the rain and flooding that they had, and I know we're all aware of the storm, Irma, and the others that are coming through Florida, and now it looks like it may be going more inland and could even be coming this direction. If they come and they're as strong, the storms come and they're as strong as they uh, say they are, and they look right now, then this could be really, really, really bad for our country and for many, many people. And so I want us as a church to do what we know to do, and let's pray. Let's take a few moments now, two minutes, for you to bow your heads and pray to the Lord, asking him to be gracious and have mercy upon us and our people and stop the storm. And in a couple minutes, I'll close this. Father in heaven, we come to you now very heavy-hearted. We have seen Houston, Texas receive so much rain that there is so much flooding. Lives are being lost, and many, many, many people are now suffering. And before that is anywhere near behind us and overcome, more may be coming now. Even now as we speak, parts of Florida are being hit. Father, we know that you are in charge of the weather. There's not a beam of sunlight. There's not a drop of rain. There's not a, <clears throat> not a blowing of wind that you're not in charge of, Father. We know that. We know you created it. We've seen you in your word absolutely control it. And so, Father, we humble ourselves before you now. We don't at all presume to know what's best for the world or what's best for, for people. Father, we're not as wise as you, but we ask now with all humility that you would have mercy and you would be gracious upon our country and the people in line of this next storm. God, we pray that you would stop it. God, we pray that it would go away. We pray that it would dissolve, that it would, that it would stop, that it would go a different direction, that it would make a U-turn, that it would go out into the Atlantic, that something would happen other than tearing apart lives and homes and places. Father, we pray for the people who are trying to evacuate, that they'd be able to get out of there. But Father, we're also aware there's a lot of people who don't know what to do. They're not able to. They don't even have a car or gas or money to, to do anything with it. They have nobody to call. They are kind of stranded. 
Lord, I pray for them. We pray for them. And we ask, God, that you would be working in this stormy season to bring glory to your name. That you, God, would be working in people's lives and that Christians everywhere would be working hard to help with the repair. But Father, this morning right now, we pray for those in line of the storm Irma that's coming. We ask your blessing. We ask for your help and for your favor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all. Let's turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 13. Last week we finished Mark chapter 13, and uh, so we could be starting chapter 14 today, but we're not. There's a phrase in chapter 13, there's been a lot of phrases in chapter 13 that have been big, but there's a one in chapter 13 that I wanted us to get back to. I don't want us to overlook it. It's there in verse 31. Mark chapter 13, verse 31. I want to ask you all if, it, if you all ever have any of those days where it seems like everything's going wrong. And I don't just mean a bad day. I mean one of those days where everything's bad. The whole day's bad. Everything in it's bad. Y'all ever have those? Y'all ever have those days where everything's bad and you realize that it's your fault mostly? You ever get in a bad mood and so the day's bad because of your bad mood, but you don't want to admit it, so you just keep acting like it's everybody else, but deep down you know it's you? That happens to me a lot. I'm so prideful that I don't want to admit that I'm the problem. I got everybody in my house worked up and upset, and I keep telling them it's all them, but I know it's me. And after I kick and scream enough and get further enough, kind of towards the end of the night, I'll finally break down and say, guys, that's my fault, my fault. Y'all ever have days like that? Well, I do. I love being a dad, and I love, I love having a family and all that, but there's some days where I'm the problem with, with, with my family. They may be sitting over there going, yeah, actually, most days you're the problem, but there are some days where, where it's me, and I know that, and I don't, I don't want that to be the case. Pray that God would have mercy on me and continue to, to make me a better man for my family. But we have kind of started back when our first was small, the, the, the habit of reading the Bible, regardless of how long or how little, every night before bed. Sometimes we're on schedule and we can make it really nice, you know, 15 minutes worth or something like that. Now they've gotten older, we could do longer. But, but sometimes, and oftentimes, uh, it's real quick, like a verse, five seconds, and a prayer. And a few weeks ago, it was one of those days, <laughs> and I was hurrying, trying to get everybody to bed. You know, sometimes you have to rush bedtime, especially when you're late. And I was trying to get everybody to bed, and I kind of had tucked Carolina in real quick and told her I loved her and said a few things to her, said a real quick prayer with her, and I was ready to bust out the door. And she says, Dad, we didn't get to read the Bible. You know what I said? We don't have time to read the Bible tonight, Carolina. And it's okay to not have time to read the Bible. I mean, we may have read it that morning. We're going to read it the next day or whatever. I, I'm not wanting y'all to think that life's not complicated. But then she said to me, well, why don't we? Why can't we? And it caused me to sit there and think. And so I with all the rushing that we had, and I stopped and backed up and turned back on the light and pulled out the Bible, and, and we read a little bit. 
And I was thankful that even my four-year-old could remind me, a preacher of the Bible, that we've got time to read the Bible. Now, right now, she likes doing that because that's time with her dad, right? But I'm praying, and her mom is praying, that one day she'll like doing that because she knows what the Word of God is. That the word of God is indeed the word of God. That God has spoken. Today's message is going to be all about the word of God. And I have been praying. I've been praying this morning. I will be in a spirit of prayer this whole service. That God would do truly a miracle work in our hearts here today. I'm glad that you're here And that you would leave out of here today changed, every one of us changed, more certain, more convicted, more strong in believing that the God who made you has spoken to you through his word. And that you would leave out of here resolved to be about God's word. In Mark chapter 13, we have Jesus' longest sermon in Mark. It's the Mount of Olives Discourse. The Mount of Olives Discourse, if you've been here the past couple weeks, is about the close of the age for whatever that means. They've asked a question, when is the destruction of the temple going to come, and when are you going to usher in the kingdom? That's the question. And Jesus proceeds to give this whole chapter of an answer. In the chapter, he's clearly talking about things that are then, like the destruction of the temple that's going to happen there in their lifetime, right then, just a few years later, But he's also clearly talking about things that are going to happen at the very end, like when Jesus comes back to save his people. And the whole sermon is about that. But if you'll look down at verse 28 of Mark chapter 13, he ties back to a fig tree and gives a lesson, meaning that Jesus is coming and the end of the world is coming. He says, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now look at verse 31. Here's our verse for today. Just this one verse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Because I was trying to preach the whole chapter and get the gist of it, I didn't get to say enough about that very verse in the past couple Sundays. Today I want to look at just that. Jesus makes a statement here that ought to rock your world, ought to kind of shake you up a little bit on just how monumental, how significant, how foundational the word of God is. His words will never pass away. And he says that after he says that this planet we're on will not last. He says that while he points out that this heavens above us will not last. Those things will not last forever. Heaven and earth earth will go away, but the word of God will always be here, will always last. 
You and I today must repent of our sins, repent of our negligence, and commit ourselves fully to being people that believe the word of God. In our Baptist faith and message, which is a a statement on what we believe, it says this about the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, all creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. That's our statement on the word of God and we believe it. So today, let's look at this one verse and let's ask God to help us get that the word of God is important. In verse 31, he makes this huge statement that heaven and earth will pass away. I've only got two points today and then I'm gonna give you a couple points of application which I don't normally do in such an organized, formal way but I'm going to today. So I've got two points and then three points of application. Number one is heaven and earth will pass away. And along with that, so will many, many, many other things. Many things won't last. It is certain that many things will not last. Heaven and earth will pass away. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how many things are not most important. You ever tried to clean out the house? Maybe you're cleaning out some drawers. Val tells me I have too many T-shirts. She tells me I gotta get rid of T-shirts and you're sitting there going through them and you're like, well, I like this one though, Val. Yeah, but you haven't worn it this year. I know, actually I haven't worn it about three years, but I really like it. It's got some meaning to it. And you start thinking, but why? If you're not gonna throw it away now, you know what's gonna happen? Give it about another 20 or 30 years, then you're gonna throw it away and you're gonna have more stuff to throw away, right? That's what usually happens. You know, there's a lot of things that are going away and Jesus tells us that even Our land is going away. Earth will go away. There's coming a day where there won't be a Fairdale anymore. We need to be careful how much we love and devote ourselves to Fairdale. And I say that with a great love and devotion for Fairdale. There's coming a day when the United States of America will not be anymore, and so we need to be careful how devoted we are to the United States of America. It is not supreme. There's coming a day where our jobs will not be here anymore, and so we have to be careful how devoted and loyal we are to them because they will not last forever. And I say that wanting you all to be the best American citizens you can be, the best Fairdellians you can be, the best employers, employees at your work that you can be. You should be the best. You should do it all for the glory of God. You should love and commit yourself to it. You should be faithful and responsible, and you should represent all of those things so well, but they're not most important. There is something so much more important than that. You need to hold loosely everything in this world that is one day going to pass away. I get a kick out of this when I start thinking about shoes and Miss Annette Darnell's here, and a couple years ago, she helped me with this. 
You know, when shoes are new, we're so into them, people will line up at the mall to get them. You want to get some new fancy shoes, you pay a couple hundred dollars for them, and you line up there, and people are fighting over them and all that. And now shoes are so good that you got to go a couple weeks before and get a ticket and to come back and maybe be able to get them. And it's, it's hard to get things like that. And you get them, and you wear them for a couple years, and they get dirty and worn out, and then you throw them away. And what was so awesome to you a year ago is now not to you now because they're worn out. And you look at the person who was trying to buy them, and you go ahead a couple years, and when you're throwing them away, you try to remember what it was like when you were getting them, and it, it makes you think, why, why was I so worked up over that? Why are we so worked up over a lot of things if they're passing away? This past week, just two days ago, we had a funeral here in Fairdale for Mr. Donnie Stinson. Many of y'all know him. He's a good fella and used to be a part of this church. And I was recalling some of my memories with him. Donnie was a good guy, Fairdale guy, and he used to meet with guys over here at Dairy Queen and have breakfast all the time. As soon as I moved to Fairdale, he was telling me about that. He used to be a deacon in this church. And and even one, one uh, I don't remember if it was a Friday or a Saturday, he invited me, and I went over there, and I realized that, that, that wasn't exactly my cup of tea, hanging out with the Liars Club over there, as they called themselves, the Liars Club, uh, over there at Dairy Queen hanging out. But I went and had breakfast with them, and, and, it, and it was good. And as long as I have been here since 2003, I have equated Donnie's red pickup truck and Dairy Queen breakfast as something that he's always a part of. And I had a man tell me, tell me just this week that with Donnie's passing, he's the last one left. He said, it looks like that group's probably finished. The whole time I've been here, I've always thought about those guys over at Dairy Queen for breakfast. But all good things must come to an end. Heaven and earth will pass away. Wednesday, we had our Dare to Care here, people everywhere. I think it was like our largest volume of Dare to Care that we've ever had. We got here, and the air conditioner had frozen up a little bit, and all down the hallway of where the people were going to be getting their food or everything, water was dripping through the ceiling. and We thought, oh, no. Got to looking at it, and the air conditioner was stuck and frozen, and For the last 14 years that I've been here, every single time something's gone wrong with the air, I would pick up the phone and call Mr. Ray Harris. Couldn't call him this time. He just passed away. Life's like that, guys. Many of the good things in life don't last. The good old days are the good old days because they're the old days. We need to be very careful, people, that we are not building as our foundation something that's going to pass away. You've probably experienced this before, but that will make you sad, won't it? If you can no longer maintain the good old days, then the good old days will make you sad. And we try to like twist them into good memories, but good memories are often sad memories, and you know that, because they're so far gone. We need to make sure, I love the good old days, I really do, but we need to make sure that we have something a little more stable underneath us, like the foundation of the truth of God, so that we are not, 
lost when we start losing things. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. What a statement. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, he says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I want to ask you today, Do you have a foundation underneath you so that whatever is lost, you'll be okay? I want to ask you here today that when the good old days are gone or when the days you're in now become the good old days and it's almost gone, like when I become a grandparent or my kids move out and I've got empty nest syndrome and they never call me or things like that start happening, am I going to be all right? When it comes time for my life to end, am I going to be all right? Are you is your foundation things other than a foundation? Because heaven is, the, the heavens are going to pass away. Earth is going to pass away, Jesus tells us. We need to be careful to make sure that we don't have too much weight on top of things that cannot hold us. Heaven and earth will pass away. Secondly, only two points today. Secondly, The word of God will not pass away. Now you came to church today and I realize that you've got some reverence for the word of God and I appreciate that so much. I appreciate, I really do, I do not underestimate or undervalue the the, the real uh, meaning that there is that y'all would even dare come on a Sunday morning and listen to me try to explain the word of God. I appreciate that, I take that very serious, that is very humbling And I today want to remind you yet again that the word of God is the word of God. And I want you to get your lives completely devoted to it. Jesus, in saying that heaven and earth will pass away, makes this grand statement that his words will not. Do you get that? I don't know how long the Lord's gonna tarry. I don't know how big my family tree's gonna get. I don't know how many branches there are going to be underneath it. But do you realize that if Jesus waits another thousand years to come back, I don't know how many generations that would be. Let's say 20 generations, if you say 50 years is a generation. I don't know how long that would be or something like that. But if it takes that long for the Lord to return, think about how many I got five kids right now. How many grandkids by the grace of God, great-grandkids by the grace of God, great-great-grandkids by the grace of God. And do you realize that at that point, there may not be a Fairdale. There may not be a First Baptist Church Fairdale. We sure hope there is, but there may not be. There may not even be Walmart anymore. They could crash and go out of business. Who knows what could happen to the world, but I guarantee you this, that no, no matter how far we go in history, there will be the Word of God, it will not go away. The Bible teaches us that in the beginning was the Word. Do you remember that in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word. And so for the rest of history, there is the Word of God. God is God. He is our maker. And he is continually wanting to be known. And he makes himself known through his truth, through his word. 
What a statement Jesus makes. And since we were so wrapped up in destruction and end times and all of that, we just breezed through this verse and didn't really get it. But today I want you to get it. The word of God will not pass away. Now, for the next few minutes, I want you to have your Bibles handy, and I want us to really, really get going. I want to show you probably four or five places in Scripture that I want you to get. If you would, be turning to John chapter 6. While you're turning to John chapter 6, I want you to hear what we read in the the Scripture reading that, that Austin read. It says this. Hebrews 4, verse 12. If you take notes, write down all these passages, because I know it's going to be hard for you to follow along really well, but you can go home and look these up. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is living, it is alive, it works. This is why we do things like commit the habit to reading it to our children every single day because the living word inside of them will come alive inside of them. This is not at all some little jingle or textbook or something like that. Yes, I try to teach my kids about North Carolina, and yes, I try to teach my kids about Michael Jordan, and yes, I try to teach my kids about good manners and how to apologize and all that, but none of those things are alive and living. None of those things are actually going to make them any better of a person. None of those things are going to do anything inside of them, but this book is alive. It changes lives. I can't tell you how many times, this is a true story, I can't tell you how many times somebody says to me, so how'd you become a preacher? Your dad and grandpa won? And I say to them, no. I wish my dad could hear you say that, actually. My dad don't know how I became a preacher. I don't know how I became a preacher except for this. When I was in college and committing myself to reading the Bible and sitting under the preaching of the word, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, changed me and made me want to be somebody that helps other people get into this book. It's alive. And it did something inside of me, and it does something inside of other people when they get into it. John chapter 6, where I told you to turn. Look at this exchange. We're going to start at verse 60. John 6. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, okay, you hear what? You hear words. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They were bothered by what he said, the words. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Wow. Is that 2017 or what? Are you offended by something that Jesus said? Wow. That was his question. They were bothered by something he said, and he says, are you offended? Verse 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Wow. Can you imagine? Y'all see what's happening here? Are you offended by what I said? Well, just wait until you see me in all my glory. Just wait till you see who I really am. You will no longer be offended by my words. You will bow down to them. You will believe them. You will submit to them. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Do you remember what I read to you in Isaiah 40? I'll read it again. The grass withers, the flower fades. In that same passage, he says that all people, all flesh is like grass. Heaven and earth will pass away, and you know what also will pass away? Me and you. We are not the standard. 
We are not the answer. We cannot hope in ourselves. We cannot dare think we're big enough, strong enough, sure enough, good enough, right enough. We can't. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Believe what? His words. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Do you see that? They didn't like his teaching. They were offended by it, and now they don't believe him, so they quit. Disciples quitting. Verse 67 So look at this. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Look at this. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I want to ask you here today, do you know that? Do you know that heaven is a real place and we're actually really close? At any moment, we could die and be on our way to heaven or hell. If this storm makes it all the way into into Kentucky, there will probably be people here that pass away. If this storm makes it all the way up through Florida, there are going to be people standing on the brink of heaven or hell, perhaps today. And do you realize that the, the key to that is the Lord Jesus Christ and his words communicated to us? Do you know that? Do your children know that? Does your wife know that? Does your family know that? Above all else, is there this anchor in the midst of of the household that says the word of God will hold us? The word of God is strong enough to keep our family together. The word of God is strong enough to cause us to ask forgiveness. Jesus says to them, y'all want to leave? It seems to me that Jesus doesn't care if people are are walking away. Jesus cares about, do you believe his words? He says, do y'all want to leave as well? And they say, no, you have the words of eternal life. Turn over to chapter 8, John chapter 8, probably next page. Still the gospel of John, Jesus still battling with either his disciples or the people that say they follow him or with the Pharisees. John chapter 8, verse 31 So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus puts an if on discipleship. Jesus puts an if on Christianity in John chapter eight, verse 31, a big if. Ifs are big, aren't they? They're only two letters, but they're really big. What's the if in John chapter 8, verse 31? What's the if on discipleship? You abide in my word. Abide doesn't mean obey. A lot of times you think it does. It means remain. It means stay. If you stay with my word. If you stay with my word. See, if you think it means obey, then you dismiss it like, well, I don't understand that because I know I don't obey. It doesn't mean obey. It means stay. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that you're not going to obey at times. There are times when you're going to disobey. There are times when I disobey, right? I just told you about all my bad days where I'm blaming everybody else for my bad moods when it's me that's the problem. That's sinful attitude. 
but I stick with the word of God, which teaches me that God loves me even when I have bad days. God loves me even when I'm foul. God loves me even when I'm the one that's wrong, and he will forgive me because of the work of his son Jesus as long as I stay with him. If you are a believer, remain in the word of God. Turn back to Matthew chapter seven. Stick with me now, Matthew chapter seven. I told you that the Mount of Olives discourse that is in Mark 13 is Jesus' second longest sermon. Matthew chapter seven is his longest sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually five, six, and seven, three whole chapters. And watch how he ends it. Matthew chapter seven, verse 24, this is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone there who hears these, what? Words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. He's not talking about houses. You know what he's talking about? People. He's talking about people that live in Fairdale, Kentucky or Louisville, Kentucky. He's talking about us. And we will rise or fall, live or die, heaven or hell, based off whether we have believed his words. Not at all based off how you live and how good you are or how bad you are. It will be on what you have done with this. That's why it is so very troubling to know people who know nothing about this. What a statement he makes. Turn to the book of Psalms. This is the last place I'm going to have you turn, and then no more turning. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, if you don't know this chapter, then please flag it or mark it. It's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, 176 verses. Every single verse out of the 176, except for two, mentions the word of God. It is an absolutely powerful work. 176 verses, all about the the, the power and truth of the word of God. Look with me at Psalm 119, verse nine. What a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? If you know any young men these days, you know that it is a struggle to be pure. Look at the answer. By guarding it according to your word. Everybody see that? Turn over to verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Look at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The word of God comforts me in suffering, he says. Look at verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Look at verse 89. This is a very 
point of what Jesus is saying in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Look at Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever. That is why your grandparents, many of them, loved the word of God. That is why throughout history, in any part of the world, loved the word of God. That is why St. Augustine, the African in the third century, living beneath the Middle East, right there in Northern Africa, that is why he, 17, 1800 years ago, is still regarded as one of the best teachers of the word of God, and we today still read the things he wrote, this African man who loved the word of God and taught what it was, because the word of God is a sure and steady thing in the world, always has been and always will be, and it is the only answer that there is for sinners like you and I. It will not pass away. R.C. Sproul says, Christianity is the true worship and service of the true God, the mankind's creator and redeemer. It is a religion that rests on revelation. Nobody would know the truth about God, nor be able to relate to him in a personal way, personal way had God not first acted to make himself known. And God has acted, he says. 60, in the 66 books of the Bible, 39 written before Christ came and 27 written after. This is the word of God. He goes on to say that what scripture says, God says. For in a manner comparable only to the deeper mystery of the incarnation, the Bible is both fully human and fully divine, so all its manifold contents, histories, prophecies, poems, songs, wisdom, sermons, statistics, letters, and whatever else should be received as from God, and all that biblical writers teach should be revered as God's authoritative instruction. Christians should be grateful to God for the gift of his written word and conscientious in basing their faith and life entirely and exclusively upon the word of God. It will not pass away, which means it will not fail us, which means it will not let us down. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God, the word of God will not. So those are my two points that you need to hold loosely everything that's passing away, and that is a lot. And you need to make sure that the truth of the word of God is your foundation because it will not pass away. It is the constant. Now, with that said, let me give you three points of application. Three points of application. Three things that you need to apply. Three things that you need to walk out of here saying, okay, here's what I'm gonna do about that. If it is true that most things don't matter and one thing really, really, really does matter, then what should I do about it? Here it is. Number one, God can be known. You need to know God. You need to know God. He has spoken. He has spoken. We feed the Fairdale football team every Friday. It's going well. I'm so thankful for everybody that serves. And, and I, I just found out this week that one of the current coaches at Fairdale High School played in the NFL. If you look at him, you can tell he played in the NFL. He's bigger than everybody else. 
And I asked him, and, and, and they told me that he played for the Carolina Panthers. Well, that's where I'm from, and that's my favorite team, the Carolina Panthers. So I started talking to him, and it was awesome. He was telling me uh, the guys he had played with, and I was naming all these guys, and he was telling me about them and telling me stories about them, and I thought it was so cool. But you know what was cool? What was cool is that I knew the people he was talking about. You know why? Because I try to learn who the players are. I try to learn where they went to college and how big they are and all that sort of stuff. But you know how pointless it is to know that much about sports who cares you know how much I love sports you know what me and Jesus aren't even going to talk about sports when we get to heaven now he may talk to me about sports for what I what I did with the amount of time I did with sports he may chastise me on that but he's not going to ask me what sports are doing to get me in heaven Me and Jesus are going to talk about other things. You know what is important? God. In Jeremiah chapter 9, God says, do not boast about the money that you have. And do not boast about the strength that you have. And do not boast about the wisdom that you have. But if you boast, boast that you know me. If you are going to boast, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, boast that you know and understand God. Application point number one is that God can be known. We ought to be doing all that we can to know him. I will tell you all this over and over again. There is not no secret key to parenting. There is nothing that me and Val can do that's going to guarantee that our kids turn out as good kids or godly kids. There's not, right? Salvation is of the Lord and it's not in parents. I can't make myself, I can't make my kids be Christians any more than I can make them do anything else, right? I can't even make them pick up their shoes. I definitely can't make them be a Christian. But here's the thing this is alive. And the more and more I, in love and humility, get this into them, the more and more I've put the living word in their lives. God can be known. Make sure you want to know him. That's point number one, application. Point number two, and I want to be careful here, but listen to me. Y'all, some things are wrong. God tells us that some things are wrong. You've got to have this category in your life that some things are wrong. You're not allowed to smack your mama. You're not allowed to talk back to people in a rude way. You may get away with it now, but it's still wrong. You're not allowed to cheat people. You're not allowed to hide something in the, in the grocery cart and hope that they don't see it and make it out the door and realize you didn't pay for it and think, yeah, they didn't see me and think that's okay. It's wrong. Some things are just wrong and you need to know that. I don't care how much the world tries to say that some things are okay now or, or some things aren't wrong. There are things that are wrong. And matter of fact, here's what I want you to know. We had a great talk about it this week at our midweek men's and women's Bible study. Right and wrong can be cultural at times, like how you dress at church, but that shouldn't matter to us. Right and wrong to us should be informed by what God says. The reason why we don't care what you wear to church as long as it's modest is because God doesn't tell you what to wear to church. Now, if your grandma or parents taught you to dress nice when you go to church, then do that. But if they taught you to wear t-shirts and shorts, then do that. It doesn't matter to me. 
Be faithful to what God says is right and be faithful to what God says is wrong. Let the word of God inform your understanding of right and wrong. We cannot miss this. We cannot have a a sermon on the Bible and not get that God clearly says that some things are wrong. So much of God's word is all about the things that we should not be doing. We need to give ear to those. We need to recognize that they're wrong and we need to try to imply that. There are things that are wrong. There are things that God says don't do. There are things that God says that is sin. God says the wages of sin is death. In other words, there are many, many things in the world that people are doing that are gonna cause them to die and that are gonna cause them to go to hell. This is true. We don't want that to happen. We don't want anybody to do bad things. We don't want anybody to stay in their sins. We don't want anybody to go to hell, nobody. But there are going to be consequences for doing the things that God calls wrong. You need to hear this. And so we have to be a people that are willing to say that. And here's why I'm making this point. Because we're not faithful to the word of God if you don't think anything's wrong anymore. You're not faithful to the word of God. Now, I want to be this community guy, and I want to be somebody that people anywhere in our community will seek out, and we can help them. And we've been doing a lot of that. We've been feeding hundreds of people here each week. We've been passing out food to hundreds more. We didn't feed them, but we gave them food. We've been doing everything we can. We give out money. I took some guy over to the gas station this week and bought them gas. We're doing everything we possibly can. Every teacher at Coral Ridge, every teacher at Fairdale Elementary, every teacher at Fairdale High School has been served by us. We've given them all a gift card to the local coffee shop. We've done all of that, and we are trying to do a lot in the community. But that doesn't change the fact that we believe that there are a lot of wrong things. We're not going to lose that conviction that if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Listen to this quote by Nick Batzig. Jesus was not crucified because he tolerated everything. Jesus was crucified because he said things people didn't like. But he said what was true. Listen to this quote from Dorothy Sayers. In the world it is called tolerance. In hell it is called despair. The sin that believes in nothing. If nothing is wrong to you, that's sin. There are things that are wrong. There are things that ought to make your stomach hurt. There are things that we ought not to be doing. There are sins in your lives that you need to say, I should not be doing that. And you ought to get on your knees and say, forgive me. The other day I messed up so bad with JJ, my oldest. I messed up really bad, and I had him upset, and I shouldn't have. And you can ask him. I pulled him aside, and we got in a room, and I closed the door, and I hugged his neck so tight, and I didn't let him go until he realized it was my fault. It was me that was wrong. You don't ignore those things and think, well, it just happens. It's family life. I mean, I'm just a dad. That's how men are. I mean, we're, you know. No. If we're wrong, we're wrong. If you're wrong, admit that you're wrong. God says things are wrong. Admit it and be humbled by it. Ask for forgiveness. Number one, God can be known. We ought to be trying to know him. Number two, some things are wrong. Let's call what's wrong, wrong. And number three, Jesus is the answer to life. This is the purpose of the Bible. 
The purpose of the Bible is to get you to see that for as wrong as we all are, God still loves us and sent Jesus to die for us, and whoever would believe in him and repent of their sins would be saved. Jesus is the answer. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The whole Bible is pointing us to the Redeemer. The whole Bible is telling us two great things, that we desperately need redemption and that God supplies it in the Redeemer, and that's Jesus. We desperately need help, and God supplies our help in Jesus. We desperately need somebody to do better than us, and God supplies it in Jesus. He is the answer. Do you know him? Have you committed yourself to him? Have you believed that the word of God tells you everything you need to know about yourself and everything you need to know about God and you have found the answer to life in it? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of God will not. And the words of God point us to the son of God, Jesus, who died for us, who loves us more than anybody else ever will. One of my favorite things to do and wind down, typically after those bad days I'm telling y'all about, is to watch Family Feud. I don't know if y'all like Family Feud, but I really, really like Family Feud. If you watch the new ones with Steve Harvey, they can get a little, they can get a little crude at times, but you just ignore that and kind of turn the other cheek and keep going. But it's a funny show, and I love, I love watching Family Feud. And the other night I was watching it, having a blast, laughing at it, and here was the question. Name somebody who is always right. Name somebody who was always right, and they popped up five answers. The first one, they nailed it. Your mother-in-law, they nailed it. It was up there. Mother slash mother-in-law, they gave it both of them. Nailed it. Next one, wife, they nailed it. They got it. Wife's always right. I I don't want to talk about this right now, but they didn't mention any men. Y'all take that for what it's worth. They got that, though. They got the mother, mother mother-in-law. They got the wife. And then the next one came up, and they said, teacher. I thought that was pretty cool. Teacher's always right. Okay, good. But from there, there were five answers. They got three. There were two left. From there, they struck out. This team struck out, couldn't think of any more. This team, to try to save or steal or whatever you call it, struck out too, couldn't get it. Left two answers blank. So then you know what Steve Harvey does. He says, well, let's see what's on the board. It was number one and number two. They got three, four, and five. They didn't get one and two. Number two pops up. God. That should have been a no-brainer to us, right? I mean, as soon as the question popped up, Val said, God. That's the easy one. They, they couldn't think of it. But me and Val sat there going, if God's number two, who in the world is number one? It's not my mom. It's not my wife. It ain't God. Who could it be? You know what it was? Me. Me. I thought to myself, 45 people said me out of 100 that were surveyed. 45 people think that they're right. More people think that they're right all the time than they think that God's right all the time. It's pretty telling of what we're like, though, isn't it? It's pretty telling of what our world is like. 
Folks, I don't know if you care about family feud or not. It's passing away just like heaven and earth is. But you know what? You are not always right. You are not always right. Don't be so proud to think that you are. Don't be so proud to act like you are even if you know you're not. Believe here today that God is. God is. And he has shown us that in his word. I want to end by telling you about William Tyndale. You ever heard of him? William Tyndale is a hero of ours. William Tyndale was born in 1494. 1494, long time ago. And he had devoted his life in England to wanting to make the word of God known. But the Church of England, listen, had a law saying that people could not read the word of God. They would not let people read the word of God. And William Tyndale knew that this was wrong. And so he had devoted himself, listen to me, of trying to translate the Bible, the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek into the common English of the people. He knew that the word of God is the answer to life and he wanted the people to know it. And so he had devoted himself to that. Because he was doing that, trying to make the word of God known to people, they arrested him and put him in jail and told him that he couldn't. At 37 years old, that's my age, Tyndale writes, I assure you, king, if it would stand with the king's most gracious pleasure to grant only a bare text of the scripture to be put forth among his people like as it is put forth among the subjects of the emperor in these parts and of other Christian princes, be it of the translation of what person soever shall please his majesty, I shall immediately make faithful promise to never write any more. I will never write another book, he said, if you will let the word of God go to the people. I'll never write another book he says not abide two days in these parts after the same but immediately to repair unto his realm and there most humbly submit myself at the feet of your royal majesty offering my body to suffer whatever pain or torture you will give me yes even death if that is your gracious will to be obtained until that time, all he's asking for is to let the word of God go to the people. He said, if you want to kill me, I will let you kill me and just let the word of God go. Until that time, I will abide the asperity of all chances whatsoever shall come and endure my life in as many pains as it is able to bear and suffer. In other words, Tyndale will give himself up to the king on one condition, that the king authorize an English Bible translated from the Greek and Hebrew into the common language of the people. So that's the setting. He's actually not in jail yet. He had run away. But that's the setting. He wants the Bible to go to the people. Let me keep reading. It is a danger. This is, this is in the 1400s. It is a dangerous thing as witness blessed St. Jerome to translate the text of Holy Scripture. Here's their law against the people getting the word of God. 
out of one tongue into another, for in the translation, the same sense is not always easily kept. We therefore decree and ordain, listen to this, that no man hereafter by his own authority translate any text of the scripture into English or any other tongue, that no man can even read such a book in part or in whole. That was a law. People aren't allowed to have a Bible or even read the Bible. Together, these statutes meant that you could be burned alive by the Catholic Church for simply reading the Bible in English. The dramatist John Bell writes this, as a boy of 11 years old, I watched the burning of a young man in Norwich for possessing the Lord's Prayer in English. John Fox in Fox's Book of Martyrs records, seven lawlords burned at the Coventry in 1519 for teaching their children the Lord's Prayer in English. They got William Tyndale. They set him up. They tricked him. A guy went and found him, pretended to be his friend, brought him back into the presence. They captured him and they got him in jail. Here's what he writes. I beg your lordship and that of the Lord Jesus that if I'm to remain here in prison through the winter, you will, request, you will take my request to have the kindness to send to me from the goods of mine which he has a warmer cap. For I suffer greatly from the cold in the head, and I am afflicted by perpetual catarrh, which is much increased in this jail cell. A warmer coat also, for this which I have is very thin, a piece of cloth, cloth too to patch my leggings." He's in jail suffering because he is trying to get the Bible into English and they will not let him. This biographer writes, we do not know if his requests were ever granted. He did stay in that prison through the winter. His verdict was sealed in August of 1536. He was only 42 years old. He was formerly condemned as a heretic and degraded from the priesthood. A heretic is somebody who does not believe the truth. Then in early October, he was tied to the stake and then strangled by the executioner, then afterward consumed with fire. Fox writes, his famous last words were, Lord, at the stake before they killed him, his famous last words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. He was 42 years old. He never married, and he was never buried. Why? Because he believed that the word of God is the answer. He believed that the word of God was the truth, and he labored to translate the Bible into English. And so much of what we have in the English Bible today is owed to the work of William Tyndale. About nine-tenths of the New Testament was translated originally by him. It was his first work. And about half of the Old Testament was translated by him, and it was his first work. It means that that English-speaking man had learned the Old Testament Hebrew. He had learned the New Testament Greek, and he had committed his life, his young life, his short life, to getting it to people. And praise God that even it cost him his life that nearly every person here has a copy. Folks, may it not be, may it not be that we neglect it. May it not be that we're too busy or there's other things that are more important. About everything else you know and you own will pass away, but the word of God will last forever. May you trust in the Lord Jesus.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for William Tyndale. Thank you for the Bible that we have that we can read and where we find the answer to life. God, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. Father, may we labor to know you. May we admit it that we're wrong. And may we trust in Christ according to your word. Oh, Father, do that work in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.